0: This is Victoria. I am otherwise engaged or possibly just ignoring your call. Leave a message. Victoria, I estimate it's a little less than ten hours, give or take, until the train reaches Chicago. I have until then to get to the bottom of why that conductor had one of Michael's letters. I'm still rattled after what happened at Calamity Falls, but I've got to focus. Or try to. I think I have a plan. I'm operating under the assumption it's at least possible that this conductor is one of these cultists, the brothers of the yellow sign, or he's in league with them. I may sound like some kind of conspiracy nut here, but I'm convinced they're all mixed up in the greater confluence of events surrounding Michael's activities in Arkham. I think they may have designs on Michael, and maybe on me as well. Why else intercept and keep Michael's letter? Do they mean to hinder my progress or just watch me for the time being? In any event, I mean to find out just what their designs are. I know Michael said to avoid these guys at all costs, but if I'm stuck on a train with one of them, I'm not just going to sit on my hands. So, I'm gonna look for an opportunity to sneak into the crew car, find where the conductor keeps his things and have a little look through them, find the letter or maybe I'll find something more. I don't know, a crucial piece of information that can help Michael in some way. It's worth a shot. Look, Victoria, I said I had a plan. I didn't say it was a good one. from Arkham, written and performed by Esley Benedict. The voice of Victoria is McKenna Beaker. That was close. I'm hiding out in someone's sleeper compartment trying to avoid the conductor. He spotted me snooping around the entrance to the crew car. He started toward me and I took off. Not sure if he kept following me, but I'm pretty sure I've aroused his suspicions. Wait, hold on. I think he's outside. (sighs) Okay, he's gone. Anyway, like I said, I was snooping around the door to the crew car trying to figure out how I might sneak in there. Suddenly the door opened and one of the staff came out. He practically ran right into me. He asked if I needed any help and I just mumbled something stupid about looking for a bathroom. We were both just standing there with the door open as he pointed me in the right direction. I looked over his shoulder and noticed the conductor at the far end of the car standing by some kind of locker. He turned his head, our eyes met for just a second. I tried to play it off, like I was just having a casual conversation with a staff member standing in the doorway but even as I was talking to the guy whose name tag identified him as Jose, I could see the conductor moving in our direction. I said a hasty thank you to Jose and got out of there. And now I'm here. I've got to figure out how to get into that crew car and take a look in the conductor's locker. There's got to be something in there that'll help me help Michael. Anyway, I think the coast is probably clear. More later, Victoria. I'm on a mission. Victoria... I've made progress, but things are decidedly more... complicated. I'm laying low in the observation car because, well, it's empty. In this car, the chairs face outward so travelers can look out these panoramic windows at the passing countryside, but nothing much is visible at the moment because it's nighttime, hence the reason why this car is devoid of passengers at the moment. It really is a beautiful train, I wish I could enjoy it more, but circumstances being what they are... I suppose I could have made this call for my sleeper, but I wanted to stay out of it for a bit in case the conductor decided to come calling. I don't yet know if he's aware that I went into his locker or that I took what I took, but I suppose it's a matter of time. But I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. After my last message to you, I waited for a prime opportunity to get into the crew car. I decided during dinner service would be the best time as most of the passengers and staff would be in the dining car, meaning the crew car would be empty. Well, that was my theory anyway. In any event, I thought the conductor would be where the passengers were and not anywhere near his locker. As passengers started gathering for dinner, I sequestered myself in the bathroom closest to the target. I waited for the voices outside to die down, and then I waited some more. When I was fairly confident the coast was clear, I cautiously made my way toward my destination, thankfully encountering no one at all. When I got to the crew car, I ignored the posted warning sign that the area was strictly for staff only, and, taking a deep breath to steady my nerves, opened the door and went through. I'd been ready to immediately start apologizing and making excuses that I'd taken a wrong turn, but the car was empty, as I'd hoped. I slowly made my way to the far end, passing rows of curtained sleeping compartments on either side. I froze when I heard light snoring coming from one of them, some random staff member who obviously wasn't required to be on duty right then. One of the overnight employees, I guess. I thought about aborting the mission then, but quickly realized I'd never get a better chance at this. I quickened my pace and was soon standing in front of the locker I remembered seeing the conductor at earlier. It was one of several other small lockers situated next to a door leading to a crew bathroom. The conductor's locker was unlabeled, but I was certain it was the right one. Unfortunately, it had been secured with a padlock. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me that someone would naturally lock away their possessions. Anyway, while I was standing there cursing my stupidity trying to figure out a way to get into the thing, I heard the door behind me start to open. I launched myself at the nearest sleeping compartment and climbed in, closing the curtain behind me. The person who came in was talking to someone and I realized he was on his phone. I recognized the voice immediately. It was him. The conductor. I heard his voice get closer and as it did I realized he was trying to talk in as hushed a tone as possible though I wasn't sure if it was out of respect for the sleeping staff member or because he didn't want anyone to overhear the conversation. I strained my ears trying to listen in. He appeared to be trying to reassure the person on the other end of the phone saying things like don't worry and I'll take care of it. Then he said with all gravity, I'm all set to pick up the book. When he reached the place where his locker was, not three feet from where I hid in the sleeper compartment, I heard a jangling of keys followed by the locker opening, and then the conductor said, I'm doing it now. Then I heard what sounded like the flick of a lighter, one of those classic Zippo types by the sound, and could smell something burning. Odd, given the fact that smoking is strictly prohibited on trains, but the smell definitely wasn't a cigarette. I took a risk and peered through the gap in the curtain concealing my hiding place. I caught a glimpse of flame, something burning in the conductor's hand. He disappeared into the lavatory, taking whatever it was with him. And that's when I saw the keys. They were sitting on a table next to the lockers. Without thinking twice, I jumped out of the sleeper and grabbed the key ring. The conductor's locker was still standing open. There was a backpack sitting inside. No time to go through it before he came out of the bathroom, so instead, I hurriedly went through the keys looking for the most likely candidate to be the one that would open the locker padlock. I picked the one that was much smaller than all the others and struggled to get it off the ring. My heart thudded in my chest, and I felt sure it was beating so loud the conductor could hear it on the other side of the bathroom door. I knew this maneuver was a big gamble, and if I'd really had time to think it through I probably wouldn't have done it, but what can I say I seem to be taking bigger and bigger risks these days. Call it desperation or I don't know what. As soon as I had it I climbed back into my hiding place and pulled the curtain, doing everything in my power to slow my breathing to remain quiet. I barely made it before the conductor exited the bathroom. I heard him shut the locker and lock it before picking up the ring of keys I'd put back on the table and making his way back down the crew car and finally out. I breathed a sigh of relief, but my mission wasn't yet complete. I'd guessed right about the key. It opened the locker without a hitch. Still trying to be as quiet as possible so as not to wake the crew member still sleeping in his bunk, I removed the conductor's backpack and started going through it. It contained extra clothes, but no sign of Michael's letter. But. Crumpled up at the bottom, I found an unlabeled manila envelope. It had a bit of heft to it, so I knew it contained something other than just paper. It wasn't sealed, so I reached my hand in. My fingers closed around something made of metal, and then, without warning, a lancing blaze of fire shot through my spine. I nearly fell to the floor and had to steady myself with the nearby table to keep from doing so. I dropped the envelope, and the pain faded into that dull, familiar burning I'd felt so many times before. I recovered my composure and picked up the envelope again. I emptied its contents onto the table. A folded letter slid out, and at first I thought it might be Michael's letter, but the paper was just a folded up piece of notebook paper, so I thought maybe not. The other thing, the metal object I'd touched that had sent my unexplained fiery sciatica into overdrive, was a medallion. The now familiar flame-encircled eye fashioned in what appeared to be bronze and attached to a chain. The folded up paper was a note written i assume to our conductor it was addressed to a jasper the note was short it contained instructions for jasper to take the train to chicago and retrieve a text from another lodge located someplace called stoker island this other lodge i guess had agreed to loan this book to the calamity falls cultists no mention of why it was so important but the book was related to something called the necronomicon the note wasn't signed i was about to put the items back in the envelope but thought better of it I'm not sure why. I pocketed the medallion, using the sleeve of my shirt to pick it up so I wouldn't touch it with my bare hand. I did put back the note, though, and returned the manila envelope to the backpack, which I placed back in the locker. I turned to go, but then stopped. Acting on some kind of preternatural instinct, I instead went into the crew bathroom. The smell of something freshly burned was still strong in the air. I looked around and quickly found its source. In the trash can were pieces of burned paper, mostly ash now. I sifted through it and found what I guess I already knew I might. A fragment of the envelope, the corner of it to be precise, containing a familiar postmark. Arkham, Massachusetts. He'd burned Michael's letter, Victoria. Rather than risk me seeing it, he destroyed it. Why? Whatever that letter contained, it had to be important. More important than just more warnings. But What? I guess I may never know. I haven't left my sleeper compartment for several hours. It's the middle of the night now, but I haven't tried to sleep, as if I could. And so far, the conductor hasn't come looking for me. I assume he hasn't tried to check his locker again, which will be tricky for him when he does considering I still have the key. Good chance I'll be his prime suspect once he finds it missing from his key ring, not to mention the medallion I took. I estimate we're midway between Omaha and Chicago now. Maybe five hours left? We should get in by morning. Question is, will I last that long? My anxiety is through the roof. I feel like some criminal waiting for the law to come knocking. With any luck, the conductor won't notice what I've done until we reach Chicago. As soon as we pull into the station, out, Victoria, I think I spoke too soon. Something's changed. The air feels so... still. The lights are still on, but it somehow feels darker. And it's suddenly cold. So cold now. I have a very bad feeling about this. Victoria, I've reached Chicago. I think I'm lucky to be alive. I'm sitting in a park somewhere. It's a beautiful park. I'm afraid I don't know what it's called. I can see the river from here. Chicago really is a world-class city. It's a gorgeous morning. I can't believe how gorgeous it is, as if what just happened to me, because of me, didn't happen at all. Like I just woke up from some horrendous nightmare. But it did happen. The conductor came for me in those dark hours before dawn. I don't understand it, but I could feel him coming. I waited in that affected pale light in my sleeper compartment, trying to will myself to get out of there. To run. But where does one flee to on a moving train? All I knew in that moment was that staying put in that tiny cell was madness. I finally got my muscles to obey my brain, despite my near-paralyzing fear. I grabbed my bag, the one where I'd concealed the medallion. You might be asking yourself why did I take the thing in the first place. I don't rightly know. At least, I didn't in that moment. I hated the ghastly thing, but I was driven by an overwhelming urge to have it, or at least to keep the conductor from having it, and I wasn't about to willingly let him have it back. I stepped into the hallway and paused to consider where I should go, and as I was doing that, the door at the far end of the car slid open, and the conductor stepped through. His face was partially concealed in shadow, and he no longer wore his conductor's uniform, so... I momentarily mistook him for just another passenger. But then when he saw me, he smiled. And there was something sinister about it. Miraculously, I was able to force myself to move toward the opposite end of the car. But then he spoke to me, stopping me cold. I'm going to need you to give back what you took, he said. I don't know why, but I lied. I said, I don't know what you mean. He let out an exasperated sigh. He said my name, the way a disappointed parent says the name of a child when they've made an especially poor choice. I'm not going to ask again, he said. I didn't respond, just stared at him, trying to decide if I should run or if I was going to have to defend myself. After a moment, the lights in the hall grew even more dim, but it wasn't an electric glitch. It was supernatural. And then the conductor, he started to change i noticed it in his face first his features began to blend together his eyes enlarged and grew dark his mouth widened nearly splitting his broadening face in half and when he smiled again it revealed a mouthful of razor sharp teeth his arms and legs elongated and became these tentacle-like things and then they split so that he it now had four arms four legs his clothes ripped in response to this metamorphosis His shirt came away completely, revealing a muscled torso that resembled something akin to a hairless gorilla rather than a man. Shockingly, I didn't scream, but I ran. Not looking back, I made for the door at the rear of the car. I felt the conductor, the thing, come after me. The sound of it was so incredibly loud I was amazed it didn't wake all the sleeping passengers, but maybe they were all under some kind of nefarious spell. All of them but me, it seemed. I reached the door, but like all doors on trains, it took a moment to get it open. Time enough for the thing to reach me. I felt a sinewy appendage on my ankle first, and then I was dragged backwards. More tentacles enveloped me, securing my arms as well. The creature flung open the nearest compartment and pulled me inside, slamming me to the ground. My face pressed into the floor. I could feel the thing looming over me. I couldn't see it, but I could sense its size. I could feel it filling up the room completely. Unable to move, I waited for the conductor to end me. Its face leaned in close to mine. I could smell its rotting breath, felt hot saliva drip down onto the back of my neck. And then it spoke. All this is pointless, it said. Great Haster has claimed thee, and he will have thee. You cannot resist his will. I was at a loss to understand what he meant, but it didn't matter. I was at the precipice, staring into the gaping maw of death itself. Trying to parse the meaning of a monster speaking in riddles was far from my concern at that moment. But then something started to happen. I felt the burning in my back return. And the longer that creature had me pinned face down to the floor, the more intense that pain became. It filled my entire back, spreading from the lower part of my spine up into the space between my shoulder blades. I felt on fire. Literally. I couldn't see it happening, but I could feel the shirt I wore burning away, exposing my back. The monster made a grunting noise. What is this? It asked me. What are you doing? Just when I thought that pain couldn't get any worse, it became white hot. A bright flash filled the compartment, and the creature cried out in surprise or pain I'm not sure which. It released me and started thrashing about wildly, its tentacles beating against me as the thing flailed around. Then I heard a loud crash, and suddenly the room filled with a rush of cold air, and all I could hear was the rushing wind, and the sound of the train. Not that familiar comforting lull, but a deafening cacophony. But then I realized I didn't hear the monster. After a moment, I felt the pain in my back subside. I lifted my head to find the compartment's window smashed out, and the monster that had been the conductor was gone. It took me a minute for me to realize it must have flung itself out of the window, out of the train. What I didn't understand, and still don't, is why. Not knowing what else to do, I made my way back to my own compartment to wait for our imminent arrival in Chicago. I took a look at my back in the mirror as best I could. It wasn't hurting anymore, but it was still a bit warm. There was something there. It looked like a brand. In the center of my back, glowing red but fading fast. I snapped an awkward picture with my phone so I could get a better look. The mark reminded me of the cultist symbol, the thing they called the yellow sign, but it was different. It was a circle with a kind of a star in the middle, like a pentagram but not exactly. And there was something else in the center of that but I couldn't really see it that well in the mirror. Anyway, what that fiery tattoo could be or where it came from, I have no clue. It's gone now, but somehow I know it's not gone. Just concealed or something. All I do know is when that monster saw it, this thing on my back, it was repelled by it. Or scared by it. So much so it threw itself through the window of a moving train. More questions. All the time, more seemingly unanswerable questions. I may be at a loss to explain any of this, but I'm not going to allow myself to remain in the dark. I know what I'm going to do next. And Victoria, you're not going to like it.